All right, we got a couple of adults going out there to make sure they get there. And then the first uh, middle school and high school can go with Jim right here. Yeah, I got a kick out of this sermon today when I realized what had happened. We did the child dedication, and immediately I'm going to start preaching about the devil. And so I don't know how it worked out that way, but it, it is what it is. And so turn to Luke chapter 8, verse 25. In this series of messages, we're asking the question, why Jesus? Why are we following Jesus? Why do we make him Lord and Savior of our life? Why are we Christians? And the reason is Jesus can do some things uh, for us that no one else can do. And last week, we looked at how Jesus can, you know, still our storms in our lives. Okay, but another big reason to follow Jesus is because he can drive away the devil. Okay, now, if you don't believe in the devil, this message might not be real motivating for you until you run into the devil yourself and find out firsthand he's very real and he's a force to be reckoned with. So, you know, that's what we're going to look at today. Today. So from last week, they were, the disciples and Jesus were crossing the Sea of Galilee. And when they arrived on the shore, they found themselves face to face with a demon-possessed man, the devil. And I think the best way to work through this story is just a few verses at a time. So in Luke 8, starting verse 26, it says, They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. And when Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. And for a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but lived in the tombs. So here's this guy, and he has a demon, and he's a mess, a hot mess. He's got all sorts of problems. And the first observation we want to make out of this story is this. The devil is real. He exists and he exists to destroy us. He, he totally hates God, and his way to get at God is to destroy us. So he's always at war with us and wants to destroy us. This man was naked. He was homeless. He was living among the tombs, for crying out loud. And ultimately, that's the end state of anybody who allows the devil to control their lives. And there comes a point where he takes control, and we are powerless to do anything about it. And that's where this man was. He was, a, he was incapable of living in any kind of society or fellowship with anyone else. He was by himself in the tombs. The devil's real. Uh, Paul says in Ephesians 6, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This thing exists. We just don't realize it's always operating, you know, behind the scenes. Now, some may question, how do we know this man just wasn't suffering from some mental illness? I mean, in this day and age, we have that. Well, in verse 29, take a look at verse 29. It says this man was chained hand and foot. He was kept under guard, but that he'd broken the chains. He overpowered the guards and escaped. Okay, that's kind of serious. There's more going on here than just a psychiatric disorder. Okay, greater forces are at work here. And what you also need to understand that there are many, many credible therapists and psychiatrists and professional people who deal with this kind of stuff who will tell you they have run into people who are dealing with more than just their cognitive problems and brain chemistry. 
They will tell you that they've had experiences that are not in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Like This is beyond what we're dealing with. And they're out there. You just don't hear about them. It's not promoted uh, in the mainstream media. This man was under the devil's control. And so the second observation, though, that's more important is this. We need to understand that Jesus has power and authority over the devil, demons, and Satan. Amen? Look at verse 28. When he, the demon, saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me? Jesus, son of the most high God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. So we see this man approaching Jesus. And uh, it's it's amazing because this demon-possessed man immediately recognized who Jesus was. He knew he was the son of God. A little bit of credibility to Jesus' claim to being the son of God. And this man had complete control over this man, but this demon did not have any power over Jesus. This demon knew he was facing a battle he could not win. He knew that his there, days were numbered in this, in this setting. And you see, that's the thing. Jesus was just about to take away the toy that this demon had and send him and cast him out. And so the demon was fearful, was afraid. Don't torture me. Now, I can't imagine Jesus torturing anyone. But, you know, Jesus wasn't going to torture the devil except by casting this, casting him out of the man. And the demon didn't like it. And so Jesus has the power and authority. In Matthew uh, 28, Jesus clearly states, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Do you see what it says? It doesn't say some authority or a little bit of authority or most authority. It says all authority. And it says in heaven and earth, not just one location, not just in heaven, but everywhere. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. In Matthew 12, the Pharisees were claiming that Jesus was casting demons out by the power of Beelzebub, or bull, and and that's the prince of demons in that culture. And Jesus goes on and explains in Matthew 12, 25. He says, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your own people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And that's exactly what was going on. And it's still here. Jesus goes on in Matthew 12 to say this, or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can rob his house. The implication here is Jesus is the one who's overpowered the strong man. He's tied him up. He's bound him so that he can rescue the hostages, which is the rest of the world. And that's Jesus, he has the power and authority. And this is especially true since Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. We'll talk about that in a second. But this story gets a little more interesting. This is a really interesting story. Look at verses 30 and 31. Because Jesus goes on and asks, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. 
Now, the abyss is a place of confinement, okay, for evil spirits and for Satan. It literally means bottomless pit. So that's what that is. But a legion is a large unit of, of, of a military unit in the Roman army. It consisted of three to 6,000 infantry and up to 100 or 200 cavalry troops. So this suggests that man was possessed by not just one, but many, many, many demons. And so you have to ask your question, you know, how did this man get so messed up? Okay. Well, Jesus also gives an interesting teaching on this. In Matthew, back in Matthew 12, he says, when an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, well, by the way, the observation, did I put that up there? Self-help will make matters worse, and I'll explain that. So it says, I'll make return to the house left, and when it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in there and live, and the final condition of that man is worse than the first. So this man apparently been through this process many, many times. Somehow he was able to cleanse himself, but it doesn't last. Demons keep coming back. And that's why I thought, well, how do we convey this in modern terms? Whenever we try to help ourselves through some other formula or means or person, an easier, softer way, guess what? You might have a temporary relief, but the devil's coming back and he's bringing recruit, recruitments. And this man had a lot. Okay? But there's still more to the story. The demons beg Jesus not to send them into the abyss. So in verse 32, it says, A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And the demons begged Jesus to let them go, uh, let, yeah, let them go into them. And he gave them permission. And when the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. Looks like the demons ended up in the abyss anyhow, right? I mean, it's kind of like, all right. And, uh, and so that's what happened. But instead of just casting the demons out, Jesus actually gave them permission to do so. What is that about? Okay. And by the way, in Mark, we learned there was like 2,000 pigs involved in this. That's a lot of pork. Okay. That is a lot of pigs. So why would Jesus allow this? Well, look in verses 34 and 35. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in their own town. And the people came out to see what happened. And in verse 35, it says, when they came to Jesus, they found the man whom the demons had gone out sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Now, it's good news about the man. That's, kind of, that's the miracle. That just shows Jesus' power and authority, Right? But they were afraid. In verse 37, it says, Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. What the heck is that about? Doesn't it seem odd? Doesn't that, wouldn't you think they'd be glad? I mean, I'd be amazed and thankful. So what's the problem here? Well, first off, as you may know, pigs were an unclean meat for the Jewish people to eat. Now, even though this was a Gentile area, it's probably likely they were selling unclean meat to the Jewish population. There was more going on here than meets the eye. And so this leads to another observation of how the devil is extremely deceptive. And this is a lesson we don't often hear in this story because there's all kinds of sensational stories about people who've been oppressed 
by the devil. And we like to listen to those stories, and we highlight them, and they're, they're so exciting. We like to focus on those. But what we really need to realize, the devil's very low-key. He's subtle. He's a smooth operator. He likes to fly under the radar. And people who seem possessed by the devil or do all these sensational, miraculous things like breaking chains, that's not under the radar. That's kind of obvious. That's kind of like, yeah, let's look at that. And what we need to begin to see is that this demon-possessed man was a diversion to something greater of more evil import going on somewhere else. Okay? And that is how the devil works. If there's a demon-possessed man and you're going, man, the devil's here, look around. Because the devil is operating, but he's really operating somewhere else. It's like fighting fires. If you ever talk to a fighter, firefighter, they'll tell you the fire is not where the flames are. That's just how you got to know where the flames are. And that's how the devil works. And so the man was a diversionary scapegoat. And what you need to understand is whenever the devil gets a foothold in a group of people, okay, there will almost always be one or two people who are really, really obviously the bad guys. I mean, they're troubled and a family. There will always be a scapegoat child who's causing all sorts of trouble. But what you need to begin to realize is sometimes that person is not the problem. There's other things going on. You're starting to see where this is. And there was more going on here than we realize. And it helps us understand why Jesus allowed this to happen. Because when Jesus allowed the demons to go into the pigs and the pigs were drowned, Jesus was throwing the curtain back on the real evil that was permeating the whole community. Does that make sense? It's just one of those things we miss when we don't see it. And so can you imagine telling Jesus to get lost? That's how bad these guys were. That's how much they were afraid because it was all out in the open. The devil is deceptive. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says, The Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It's not surprising then if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness. The devil's hard to detect. So pay attention and beware. Okay? Because um, it's a lie. Jesus says in John 8, 44, there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks his native language for he is a liar and the father of lies. And I, he can deceive the best of us. And I think that's why he calls us to fellowship with one another. Uh, we have a group of guys out here at meets on Sunday. And, you know, if I miss them, someone else will catch them and say, hey, Doug, do you realize the devil might be work here? That's why we need each other. Stay together. And when we get separated, we're in trouble. All right, so how do we face the devil now, okay? How do we deal with this 2,000 years hence? Well, first off, always, always remember that Jesus has already defeated the devil. Thank you. Amen. In Colossians 2.15, it says, Christ has disarmed the powers and authorities. He's made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Things have changed since those times. The devil does not have the power, authority to do the things he used to do. The devil has been cut off at the knees. All right? And so we have that. Jesus has the power and authority to deal with the devil. He has the right. He has the might. Um, his right was established on the cross. His might was established in the resurrection. Okay, he can do it. 
And so he's defeated. So when Jesus shows up, the devil flees, period. Okay? But Satan still has a way to influence us. And you know how that is? By talking to us, by whispering to us. He still speaks lies. He can't make you or me do anything, but he can still influence us if we're open to what he tells us through directly or through the media, through someone else, whatever. So we have to pay attention. And the only power he ultimately has is the power we give to him in our lives. And as Christians, we cannot be possessed by the devil because his spirit is within us. But we can be oppressed. We can be immature. We can be childish. We can be naive. And we can go, oh, that sounds right, when it isn't right at all. We need to learn to hear the voice of God and discern the voice of the devil and say no to the devil in the name of Jesus. Okay? Because he will whisper. And he tries to get us to doubt God. He tries to, he tries to get us to conjure up false narratives about what's going on around us, about other people. You know, Mike might just walk by me and not acknowledge me. And I'm going, man, he must be mad at me. Or he must think, you know, I'm not good enough. Or, you know, that's not a God. Because Mike, Mike just, I just know Mike. But the devil will plant seeds when people do something, you know, and we come up with these ideas in our head, and they're not of God, and we never think that God is that true. Devil's whispering. He conjures, he gets us to think things that are just plain crazy, and we begin to act on them and have emotions on them, and it, it causes troubles. And so we just need to be aware of that. And the more we buy into his lies, the more he does gain true control. So the second thing we need to do is be self controlled and alert. 1 Peter 5 says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Well, the first thing we need is just be alert. And, you know, because the devil's really good. He knows when to speak to us at our weakest moments. When I was young, even before I was a Christian, but I kind of had a God awareness, but I was young. I'm not sure what grade I was in, but my parents would take us on this trip. And we'd stopped at this national park monument where there was this tremendous cliff that you could go out and stand on and look down about a thousand feet and it was in the days before they fenced everything off you know how they fence everything today well you could actually go up there and I mean you could look down i mean there wasn't much and i remember distinctly as a kid Standing there, looking down, hearing a voice in my head saying, jump. Doesn't that just kind of give you the chills? And I, I, I wasn't suicidal. I, wasn't depressed. I mean, I was just, you know, but the thought was, I wonder what that's like. Hmm. You know, I'm just saying, be alert. Because in your weakest moment, in a moment of anger or being upset or whatever, the devil say, say this, you ought to do this. You have a, and, and the voices come out of our mouth and then, then the war is on with whoever you're dealing with, right? Married people know all about how this works. Be alert, pay attention. But we also need to exercise self-control, which technically isn't self-control, it's Christ control. Now understand when the New Testament talks about self-control, it's assuming that we have brought Jesus into the conversation. And we just talked about this passage this morning, but this is what Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says. In your anger, do not 
sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. So when we allow the devil's lies to get into our life, that is when we need, that's when we get emotionally messed up. Okay. When that, when I, when that happens with me, I experience anger. I experience fear, shame, guilt, bunch of other negative emotions. When the devil's lies start getting in my head, I emotionally go south. That's just how it happens. And the, and the more I listen to the devil, the more he has a foothold. Okay? Being self-controlled means not listening to the devil's lies, but bringing God into the conversation. And when I bring God's truth and love and just clarity and whatever, that's emotional management right there. And I begin to settle down. I'm not as upset because I take that higher frame of reference into my head and my heart, and I calm down. And Paul is saying, don't let the sun go down. Don't deal with it. it just, I'll talk about this later. We let negative emotions just distill in our hearts and percolate and permeate, and, you know, they just get bigger and bigger, and we get in more and more trouble. And so what I need to do in the moment is stop, and we talked about this, is pray, bring God into it. Sometimes I may need to talk to you or somebody and connect with another brother or sister in Christ. Whatever I need to do to get the devil out of my head, don't give the devil a foothold. Be alert, be self-controlled. This is where we also need to put on the full armor of God. And I'm not going to get into this whole thing. We don't have time. But I put the scripture up there for you to write down and look at this later. But Ephesians 6.13 says, Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. So check out the armor of God. Each one of those points has something we can bring into our lives to protect us from the wiles of Satan. Okay? Ultimately, I just need to submit to God. James 4, 7 says, submit to God then, uh, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Note the order. Submit to God first, then resist the devil. Don't try to do it backwards because it doesn't work. The whole reason we submit to God is I need God to resist the devil. If I try to resist the devil without God, I'm back to self-help. Okay? Submit to God. And usually, when the devil gets a foothold in my life, it's usually because I'm not submitted to God in the first place. I'm off doing my own thing. I'm not even considering, you know, what God wants. So when the devil knocks the door, don't answer it yourself. Send Jesus. Okay? And here's the deal. When you and I submit ourselves and come under Jesus' authority, when you give yourself to him, you have the power and authority to tell the devil to get lost. Leave in the name of Jesus. And that's a legitimate thing to say when the conversations are spinning out of control. I can't tell you the number of times I've been on the way to church, planning to preach a sermon for crying out loud, and I've been insane, utterly, utterly insane up in my head. And I've had to stop and ask myself, are these voices in my head just me? 
And I've said, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to be silent and to leave. And they have. And that's just how that operates. And so in the name of Jesus, I can tell the devil to leave, to get out. Adios. Why Jesus? Because when I have Jesus, I can send the devil packing. Well, Jesus can send him packing. Amen? Let's all be standing. Father in heaven, thank you so much for being our hero, our deliverer, our rescuer, because we could so easily be in bondage and enslaved, but you have rescued us from the dominion of darkness, from Satan, from his minions, and you have given us a life of freedom if we'll only just trust you and obey you and follow your word and be in fellowship with one another. Just give us the wisdom to follow you and make you Lord of our lives and then help us to appreciate this, this wonderful freedom and life we have in you. I'm so thankful I am a delivered man. So I give you the praise and honor and glory through Jesus. Amen. All right.